Hey folks, let's spend some time with friends up north. Pat Kreitlow of Up North News is on Lake Wissota. Sarah Yacoub of the Manaqua Brewing Company Super Pack is on the Mississippi River. And up on Lake Manaqua is Kirk Bangstead of the Manaqua Brewing Company. Wherever you are, welcome. You're up north. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Up North Podcast. Uh, my name is Kirk Bankstad, and I'm from the Manaqua Brewing Company. My name is Sarah Yacoub, and I am also from the Manaqua Brewing Company Super Pack. Happy to be here, Kirk. Oh, Sarah. So everyone who's listening today, um, if you're listening, you're listening in Madison live, and then you're going to be listening to our podcast uh, later this weekend. Sarah, uh, this is going to be a weird show today because Pat Kreitlow is on a plane, I think, to D.C. or something. And so Pat is the... Uh, He's the professional uh, newscaster, and so uh, we're going to be winging it today. And Sarah Yacoub couldn't make last week the beginning of our uh, new season, but uh, Sarah and I know each other really well. She runs the Super Pack uh, that I started uh, last January, um, and she lives up in uh, Hudson, which is in the 7th Congressional District, you know, up north, which is uh, as red as it gets. And so she's uh, she's signed up to... To, to be a part of this adventure, <laughs> part of this crazy adventure of, uh, of the super pack. And so, Sarah, I wanted to, you to tell the audience, introduce yourself to the audience and, uh, and tell everybody about yourself because you're going to be on the show for the rest of the season, but a lot of, not a lot of people know who you are. Sure. Well, thank you, Kirk. And welcome to my funky egg chair. I fractured my knee, which made me have to get a little creative for where I was going to sit tonight. So always fun, never a dull moment. Um, dog parks, beware. Okay, so I am Sarah Yacoub. I am an attorney and a Los Angeles transplant. So why and how Wisconsin, right? Um, actually, fun story. I went to school in Santa Barbara, biopsych major. And one of the things that would happen is that the second it hit about 50 degrees, God forbid, somewhere in the 40s, and it got a little rainy out, us SoCal kids would not go to class because you don't go to class in bad weather. That's just, you just don't do that. And we'd bring out the Uggs and they'd call us Ugg bunnies with our shorts and our Uggs and our sweatshirts. And what I noticed is my Midwest friends were like, what do you, what's wrong with you? I'm going to class. This is wonderful weather in their shorts and their flip-flops. And I was like, wow, you guys are much more resilient than us SoCal kids. And they were also the nicest people with the best hardworking ethic. And it really made an impression of, okay, they're doing something right in the Midwest in terms of raising kids. So fast forward, you know, however many years, 10, 15 years, when the opportunity arose uh, to, to move here and raise my kids here, it felt like a no-brainer. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Sarah. I'm sure people are going to get to know a lot more about you. Um, we are going to, uh, we have a big show today, and it's all about this lawsuit that the Monaco Brewing Company Super PAC is uh, uh, kind of doing against uh, school boards that have been overrun by some of these anti-masking, and I say with all uh, terms of endearance, <laughs> uh, nut jobs. Uh, and so we're gonna have our lawyer, Fred Melms, come in uh, on, the, on the next segment, uh, and we'll talk all about Fred and, and what about the lawsuit. And then after that, we're gonna have uh, Beth from 
it's the Elmbrook Parents for Safe Open Schools, which is a really active parent group that uh, that kind of noticed that these school boards were not protecting their kids. And so we're going to get it from a parent's perspective as well. So um, I'm excited about this show. Uh, I'm excited about this lawsuit. It's the biggest thing that the Super PAC has done. Um, I'm kind of scared. I hope we don't fall flat on our faces, but uh, but it's important. You know, at the end of the day, it's important for somebody to be to be holding these school boards accountable. And uh, we're going to learn a lot about what this lawsuit's going to entail. So uh, stick with us, and we'll be back after a short break, and we'll get to talk to Fred Melms. <laughs> bad boys, bad boys, what you going to do? That is the song that leads us into the second break, because... Uh, we're going to introduce Fred Melms, the bad boy of law. I'm Kirk Bankstead. Welcome back to the Up North podcast. And I am Sarah Yacoub. Happy to be co-hosting not only on this podcast, but here on News Talk 92.7 in Madison. Uh, for those of you catching us uh, at other times, you can catch us on our website. And we are just excited to be here. That is upnorthpodcast.com. And you can subscribe to that podcast on Spotify and everywhere, Apple, uh, where you find your podcast. All right. Thanks, Sarah. So uh, we're going to invite Fred Melms. So Fred Melms is my is my lawyer. And I, 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 I discovered you, Fred, when I was being sued by the Lakeland Times for defamation. And I had never met a First Amendment lawyer. I never had to worry about being sued for defamation before, but this super PAC has definitely made me a target for uh, some of these uh, conservative groups and this conservative paper. So basically, Fred, basically for everybody listening, Fred makes sure that I don't get in trouble with what I say. <laughs> but because he's such a brilliant lawyer, I was like, well, let's talk about this lawsuit about, uh, you know, let's talk about how do we protect some of these kids who, who, you know, are too young to get vaccinated. Um, they're, you know, their, their school boards are being overrun by these screaming kind of like harpy like beings who are not in favor of their kids wearing masks, even though kids that age seemingly are just fine wearing masks and they have been, you know, all last year. Um, Fred, uh, talk about, you know, give, give me your side of the story on how this, what interested you about this lawsuit, kind of what, um, you know, how, how, what kind of your, your, basically your, your, our strategy is, um, how we had to get plaintiffs. I mean, it's, going to be so interesting for people to kind of hear the lawyer side of this uh this thing well i mean you i didn't really get plaintiffs you sort of organized a group of people who were uh angry about this and uh, you know we chatted a little bit and from there some of them became plaintiffs um well it's just it's kind of an interesting area of law in that you know the last pandemic was in 1918 right so we don't really have a lot of it to, to go off of. So you're sort of looking into other areas for, for strategies, I mean, effectively to make the, the school boards and you know, parents do the right thing here and put masks on their kids, which seems like not very much to ask given, given the stakes here when we've got you know, 
thousands of people dying every week of this from this pandemic who otherwise wouldn't need to die. So that's really, I mean, the whole thing has been kind of mind blowing, but our approach, <laughs> my approach to this is going to be sort of twofold and client dependent, but we've got a couple areas we're looking from. One is sort of public nuisance law, which in which we'll be arguing more or less that much like a polluter, this school is a daily super spreader event. And because this school, I mean, the school board brings the school together to be a daily super spreader event, they have an obligation to, you know, take some actions to try and limit the harm from that, from the, the children to the community, from the, you know, they go home, they take it back to their kids, to their parents, you know, they go home, they're sick, they wind up in community hospitals. I mean, the schools are causing sort of damage to the public as a whole here. And that's kind of the, what the first suit is, or the first part of the suit is attempting to address is, is that. And it's from that angle. It's really, it's from actually an environmental, most of the law, and it's actually environmental law. Um, so it's, gonna, it's kind of been interesting to, you know, write this complaint and work on a, a temporary restraining order. So, know, Fred, let me stop you there. So um, what... Can you, I mean, because you've had to look at precedent because we, you're like you said, like we haven't had a pandemic in a in hundred years. So like, what are you researching that suggests that, you know, kind of looking at it in a, in a pollution or environmental sort of way might, might be the, the strategy to go? Like what other cases kind of have, have, you know, in, in your mind have been successful? Well, it's not, there, there, unfortunately other people have tried this specific approach from the from the um, perspective of teachers, and it it hasn't worked because the the courts have just struck them down, saying this is an OSHA issue. OSHA should be handling this. So the the difference between what we're going to do with our you know our students is we're going to focus more on the effects of the community, and uh, sort of uh, take that angle differently. Um, I guess I didn't bring my notes here, but uh, there are a bunch of sort of very famous public nuisance case law um, that would be appropriate here. Let me open. Fred, um, how does yes. negligence play into this, if at all? So we're not really bringing a negligence action. Um, I didn't think that was necessarily going to be the best route here um, because I think we can prove negligence, but um, the the uh, the public nuisance stuff is really more strict liability than anything. Um, so it's did you do it? Did you not do it? There's no negligence analysis, which is pretty good. Um, I think well, we could argue negligence for the other the other part of this I'm bringing is going to be more of a from a civil rights spin where we're going to argue that the students have a civil right to be safe at school, and now the the courts have been really have basically refused to ever accept that um, the government has the responsibility to protect citizens. As, as you know, <laughs> you went to law school, <laughs> that, that, uh, that, uh, that just doesn't exist. They don't have that responsibility. You can never sue basically a police department or a government for failing to act unless there's very special circumstances. And those two are, you're either creating a special relationship or you've um, created the danger. And I think, now, the courts have not extended this special relationship to the student sort of teacher administrator relationship. They have said that's not a special relationship for the purposes of making that sort of claim. But I think here we have one 
because they did all of this last year. And I think we also have a similar claim that they they created this danger by removing all of the sort of COVID mitigation strategies they had last year. So that's that's sort of the second the second way we're going to uh, approach this uh, this case here. So I've got a question for you because. Um, by the way, I, uh, our the Monaco Brewing Company Facebook page has been carpet bombed by the Trump cult in the last uh, 24 hours uh, or 48 hours. And so I've gotten a lot of uh, bench warmer lawyers uh, on the other side saying how we're going to lose and why. But something I've heard repeatedly is, um, you know, Governor Evers already tried to do a mass mandate and it was overturned by the Supreme Court, the Wisconsin Supreme Court. Um, can you explain to the listeners and, and the viewers, uh, you know, why we why the, what we're doing is different than what Governor Evers tried to do? Well, the mask mandate itself wasn't thrown out. It was the process in which we established the mask mandate. So it wasn't the, the mandate. It was a, it was a process issue. So. That's great. I mean, the people that keep telling me that mask mandates or that we hear on the radio or TV saying mask mandates are unconstitutional. I need them to point because I, I missed, missed that day in law school. <laughs> A section of the, the, the Constitution that says the state's police power extends up into the point of putting a piece of cloth on your face. There's no case law that says that. I, I believe either. So the analysis that one would use in just generally determining uh, whether or not a, any police, police power action by the state that doesn't implicate a fundamental right is legal is just rational basis, and which is, is, does the state have a rational basis for, you know, making this law, taking this action, and there's a pandemic, we're spreading disease to one another, put on a mask seems pretty rational to me. So they're all just wrong. Fred, what's your take on the Delta variant and the fact that it seems like we have all this really good data to support the supposition? So last year we knew that this would happen, common sense, um, but we didn't really have the data, you know, the forest fire hadn't burned all the way through. Is your uh, take on it that, you know, we now have all this really good data that tells us what sort of super spreader event we're dealing with? Um, I mean, I think it's helpful. I think We've, uh, I've gotten a really good expert. I'm still working with the finalizers report, but uh, the, da the data is definitely bad and there's plenty of it. And it says that kids should be wearing masks. Everyone should be wearing a mask. It stops the spread of disease. It will save lives. I mean, it's well, pretty, it's pretty okay. black and white. Shockingly, the experts in this field know more than, you know, the political pundits who are attacking this idea. <laughs> well, um, I mean, yeah. the, the part that gets me is you know, if I'm a teenager and nobody's telling me, hey, you might survive it, but you might spread it to someone who doesn't, whether it's your brother who has asthma or your grandparent who wants to live with, I killed, you know, fill in your loved one blank because I, I got exposed. And so, you know, it seems like as adults, we have a responsibility to make sure that our kids aren't sort of walking themselves off a cliff here. Well, yeah, I mean, as adults, as parents, as just members of the community, we should all care a little bit more about our neighbor and just put on the mask. It's really, it's not asking a lot. You know? <laughs> it's not interfering with your day. It's not interfering with your ability to do anything. It's just put on the mask. And the people treating this like this is going to be the greatest, you know, it's the masking is the greatest threat to our constitution since, I mean, I, the civil war, are, it's just a mind blowing opinion. 
when there are so many real threats to you know your constitutional rights that are going on every day. Uh, Fred, let me ask just so we clear. You're seeing all this stuff from the uh, our, the expert epidemiologists and the infectious disease experts, but to the point of actual like you're seeing this data too, where schools that have masks, mandatory masking for kids that are too young to get vaccinated. Like we have the data that the infection rates among these schools are way less than the ones who don't have that. I mean, right. You're, you're getting tons of that data, right? Yeah, it's, it's there. It exists. We should be wearing masks. It's pretty settled. I mean, scientifically it's settled. The, it's the, the reaction to it is just what's been the issue. There, there is no question about what we should be doing. It's, I mean, at least from sort of a, a, a so rational background. Here's the, so, okay, so, so let's, let's go forward. Let's go forward. Um, you wanted to take this to federal court in Wisconsin, and there's two districts, and you had a strategy for that. Um, I think people would want to know why uh, why you think that we have a better shot at, at helping kids in, in federal court versus some state courts? Well, I, I think we're li- likely to get a slightly less political judge um, because the counties we're in, we may not have judges that would necessarily, you know, they may just throw it out right away because Tucker Carlson told them to. And that's going to be an issue. So in federal court, we're going to have uh, less political judges. They're appointed for life. They don't have to answer to, you know, an angry community because they've asked them to behave responsibly. I mean, they can, they can just behave more. They can, they can act more freely. They're also going to have a whole lot more experience dealing with kind of the issues we're, we're bringing. I mean, specifically the fact that we're, we're going to be suing um, the school district as a defendant class. Now, that doesn't ever happen. But federal judges deal with class action issues far more than local judges will. So they'll just have a better, they'll have a better background from which to understand procedurally what's happening than the, the local judges will. Um, I want to follow up because you have been, you know, you've practiced in Wisconsin, you've seen different judges and you've seen some of the politics. We've got about three minutes and probably about a minute and a half for you to respond, but why is Wisconsin, why are the judges in Wisconsin, the state judges or the county judges so political? And, and, can't, and shouldn't, shouldn't we be able to fix that? How do we fix that? I, I mean, I don't think judges should be elected. I think they should be appointed. Um, I think that's part of the problem. Although, you know, it's, I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's just kind of something you accept and move on with. Um, I, don't, I don't exactly know what the solution is. But I, I mean, I think having appointed judges would generally be better. Sarah appears to have a plan though. Sarah, what's your plan? Accountability. I mean, we had judges appointed um, and that ended up being all sorts of political. And, you know, it's an atmosphere where good judges, bad judges, there's not really a process that that differentiates them. So those who are political, uh, there's nobody, there's no mechanism that effectively tells them to knock it off. Uh, So, you know, it works for them. So, so we've chosen to go the federal route. We hope it's less political. All three of us, I'm sure we all agree that putting masks on kids who are super spreaders is, shouldn't be political in any way, shape, or form. It's only been made political by the right. It's only been made political by the, the folks who want to 
tried to divide us uh, as 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 small town communities and and try to rile up uh, those to try to be more active and vote conservative about talking about freedom, et cetera, et cetera. And it shouldn't be political. And that's and we're going to go to break pretty soon. And we are going to talk to Beth. Uh, who is from the Elmbrook Parents for Safe Open Schools in Waukesha County. And they are taking, it's Waukesha, it's a very red county, but um, they care mostly and 100% about keeping their kids safe and they don't want to get political about it. So while I'm political, Sarah's political, Fred is not political, I'm pulling him into this sphere a little bit, but uh, but we're going to talk to Beth, who is trying to protect kids without being political in a very red county. And it's going to be very interesting what she's got to say about what's happening in Waukesha. So uh, can't wait to uh, come back, uh, listen, to, listen to the break, and we'll be back in a little bit. Welcome back to the Up North podcast. I'm Sarah Yacoub. And I'm Kirk Bankstead. And Pat Kreitlow is off this week, and so it's a, it's a ragtag group we pulled together here we played we played um we played uh what's the lion king uh circle of life because we got beth here who's a parent protecting her cubs in uh the elm elmbrook uh school district uh, save our wait what safe open schools uh the elmbrook parents for safe open schools in waukesha county um we thought that the uh, lion king song would it would be a good uh, it would give you a little fortitude beth but i love um, it <laughs> all right so so the story of how i i found beth is she wrote a really eloquent uh facebook message to me a few days ago uh, with a lot of good facts and figures about uh you know the ma masking in schools and what needs to be done and introduced her group to me uh, because obviously they're in Waukesha, and Waukesha is a super politically charged county because it is uh, the, one of the top uh, Republican counties in the state of Wisconsin, but also very close to Milwaukee with a lot of professionals, uh, you know, a lot of people in healthcare, a lot of doctors uh, and that care, that understand COVID. So um, she wrote a really eloquent uh, message to me, and I, I was like, you know, I need the... Uh, I need the viewpoint of a parent's organization and to understand what the hell happened between last year when we seemingly were all on the same page about what we needed to do to keep kids safe and, and this year. So so there's a lot of stuff I wanna to talk to you about, Beth, but I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on what's happened last year versus this year. Why do you think there's a difference? And obviously what your group uh, is trying to accomplish uh, uh, both, you know, potentially staying out of politics. Just yeah, thank it, you. Sure, Kirk, thank you so much for having me and thank you guys all for what you're doing to keep our kids safe. Um, we kind of have a running joke in our group that we said, leave it to a really cool brewery to, you know, save Wisconsin kids. That's a very Wisconsin thing to do. <laughs> so, um, Thanks. But yeah, so we're with this group. We started literally uh, three weeks ago and it's just kind of been, off, we've been up and running since that time. And we've really tried to approach this, like, like you mentioned, a very apolitical, apolitical approach, because quite honestly, we're just scratching our heads saying, why is this political? We don't understand. We just want our kids to be in-person school. 
We want them to be safe. And that's kind of the, the main gist of it. So you asked about last year and the comparison. So last year, our district was incredible. So Elmbrook School District, they were open five days a week. Uh, one of the first schools to just jump back in after they took you know, the spring of 2020 off. And um, then they just jumped back, to, jumped back in. And, and what they did was pretty much a layered risk mitigation approach, which we know works. And you know everybody is trying to figure out how does this work? How does this pandemic you know function? And it was kind of like learn as you go. And the whole time, you know, when I say like the layered approach, that's what we're trying to focus on right now. Because honestly, masks, yeah, they're important, and there's tons of studies that point to it. But what we found is it's a lightning rod issue, and we're not even like trying to go there. We're trying to say, let's bring back a, a variety of things that we did really well like having social distancing at lunch, having some contact tracing, making sure the testing is up and running. And you guys probably know and are well aware, but there's federal funding out there for every single school district in the state of Wisconsin that if they want, they can sign up to be have their own testing program. And DPI will connect them with the lab and then they're off and running and they can do their testing program. Um, that's an excellent tool. I've spoken with people at Whitefish Bay, which is just north of Milwaukee. They're, according to what I've seen and seen their, their return to you know, school plan, they're doing tons of best practices. And they're essentially doing what we did last year with this layered risk, uh, risk mitigation approach. Um, one of the things that they have done with their testing program, they've made it super robust and we know that the power tools with public health of testing and doing things like social distancing and quarantining and contact tracing, those things work to get this, get our arms around it, to understand what's going on, where the spread's coming and to stop it. So going back to Whitefish Bay, their program, they allow all the families in the district access to testing twice a week at different sites that are set up throughout the community. And I think that's brilliant. And that's, that's an example of something that we would love to get to. We want that type of robust programming. But to do that, guess what? You need public health resources. Our public health resources in the county of Waukesha, they all roll up to the health department. And that's where we really need their help. And it's gotten to the point where, you know, whether it's public health nurses for contact tracing or, a, you know, like a really great testing program, because right now we've got tons of families that are getting these contacts um, notices, contact case notices saying like your kid came in contact with someone who was tested positive. Well, there's no requirement that their kid has to quarantine, that their kid comes to school to wear a mask if they have already had this close contact. And there's no requirement that they get tested. It's kind of like a suggestion at this point. And that's another example of how things are drastically different from last year. Yeah, Beth. So, so yeah, before please. you keep, let me jump in there. So it worked last year. You, all the parents seemingly were, I don't know if all the parents, but it seemingly there's lots of people who were happy with, with how things went last year. Why, why are these things not happening this time around? Oh, I have a theory. So not all the parents were happy with it. We actually had a lawsuit that was brought against our district. Um, and it resulted in the last 17 days of the school year, the mask 
requirement was lifted and it was mask optional from that point on. And we're all like, what the heck just happened? Why would, why would they do that? Why would they do that? With, you're so close to the year, the year finishing out strong. And then we were upset because it was, honestly, there were stories of bullying going on amongst kids because you had situations where kids would come to school and they would basically parrot what their parents were saying at home about you know, various comments re regarding yes or no for masks. It just created this whole host of problems that we didn't need or, or, and nobody asked for. Now, the other piece about the, you know, why did things change? I think that was a big reason. There was a there was a lawsuit brought against the district, and in this landmine of political craziness, those types of things matter to districts. And you see, there's recall efforts for superintendents for board members. In this day and age, it's got to be like walking on a tightrope and walking on eggshells. And in Wisconsin, we have hyper home rule, and it comes down to each district calling their own shots. That being said, the county and the public health officials, there's statutory authority for them to pull the trigger and to do certain things. Because this is a, this is a uh, class one communicable disease that we're seeing here. And that triggers their ability to do things like say, you got to quarantine, you know? So they have tools, you just need them to use them, whether it's that or helping us get public health nurses, you know? So anyways, I kind of went off on a tangent there. <laughs> if you have another question, let me know. Did, did the lawsuit result in anything or did the school district just fold? Uh, I don't quite know the status of it, honestly, but I know that it kind of spooked them. That's my sense. And I know that, you know, they, they got us. Here's the other thing. So compared to the other districts in our county, we're very lucky because we at least have the option. If we have kids that are 4K through sixth grade, before school started, the district put a question to us as parents and guardians and said, Okay, so we're gonna offer three options. You can have a mass required class, a mass optional, which let's be honest is basically no mass for majority of the people in it. And then the third option is virtual. So the fact that we even had options was really an improvement compared to our neighbors around, around the county. That being said, you know, it goes back to things like the lunchroom because that if you pretend that you don't have a pandemic and you have everybody eating next to each other elbow to elbow, well, guess what, those 18 minutes, that's going to negate any risk mitigation you had throughout the day of being in class with a mask. Because if you're sitting, if, if little Johnny is sitting next to little Timmy and, and Timmy unbeknownst to him has COVID, Johnny can get it right there eating right next to him lunch. And guess what? That happened. It happened like two weeks ago to some kids. And one of the kids, I know them personally, it's a family friend of mine, um, he was high risk. And for a year, he didn't go to school. And that, that was the only place he got it at school was, and it had to have got happened at lunch based off of everything that happened. So that's just like one illustration of common sense just out the window. And it's just, it, you gotta be really careful about how you go about doing these things if you want this to work. And we know this from last year, but for some reason, we're just not doing it. Beth, how are you handling the fact that it really seems like the loudest bullies in the room are suddenly dictating public policy. So it's not necessarily the numbers, but suddenly the the quiet parents who stay home and do their thing, um, but are yeah. pro-social and responsible are getting drowned out by this sort of fringe anti-science uh, perspective uh, that's really carrying the day. How, how have you dealt with that? 
Well, that's a really good question. You know, there was earlier this month, there was an article in the Journal Sentinel talking about this. It's actually a nationwide effort that you see because this agenda that's being pushed and no mask is just like item number three out of four main topics that they're pushing. Um, it's, it's going, it's sweeping across the country, it's sweeping across the state. And it's fascinating, like the psychology behind it, because it's collecting, it's collecting speed and momentum from parents that otherwise just were not like, didn't care about their school board ever before. So we're seeing this and we're kind of like, like zooming out and saying, what is happening? And there's a lot, the thing is, there's a ton of parents that are, are super rational and saying like, why is this even a thing? Why is this political? Why is this a problem? And so what we're trying to do is just bring parents together that are within that same mindset and saying like, okay, let's get together. And right now we probably in our group, I think we have close to about 300 parents and guardians and it keeps growing every day. We've got more and more people that are interested. And then from there, we're trying to um, really collect the thoughts and wisdom from a lot of our healthcare provider parents. We're trying to get their expertise. We're trying to be very professional. We're trying to be partners with the school district. So we're trying to basically be an antidote for that chest beating bullish approach. Thanks, Beth. So what I'm hearing is, and, and I agree wholeheartedly, and we're seeing articles, I think you shared with me an article, and there were other articles shared. So this is an agenda item. This is, unfortunately, uh, uh, the Republican Party, I shouldn't even say that it's the Trump cult. Um, and I apologize, Beth, you're not here to talk about politics. You're here to talk about keeping kids safe, but I'm talking about politics. Uh, they, it's your podcast. They, um, the Trump cult has an agenda to get them back into power. And they're like, we need to do this at the grassroots level. We need to do it at school boards and county boards. And so critical race theory is, is just garbage. It's a garbage thing that, but it can get people who are slightly racist all riled up. You know, this mask thing, it's garbage science, but it gets people who are slightly wary of the government, you know, and QAnon has made them very wary. Trump has made them very wary of government uh, over, over, you know, the big brother. It gets them a little riled up. And so these issues are not about the kids. They're not about protecting kids. They're not about schools. They're not about Wisconsin. They're, it's an organized onslaught onto Kirk, our the, psych psychology. The best way I heard it is astroturf politicking. And a lot of these, we talk about super PACs on the other I'm side. They're funding have. this. That's, that's what we're seeing. And that's that Journal Central article I was telling you about. We know where the money's coming and we know, I mean, they're, they're basically just looking for parents to plug and play into that agenda, unfortunately. All right, Beth. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining us tonight. Um, we're going to cut to another break uh, and we're going to finish with something a little bit more nice, uh, uh, <laughs> more easy, but you, you're doing great work, uh, Beth, and, and we're going to support you all the way. And uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully uh, send, you know, People with with some sense will uh will 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 have have the will be able to be able to rule the day on this. Thank you so much, Beth. It's Kirk Banks said. Uh, 
from Monaco Brewing Company. Uh, Sarah Yakub's here from the Monaco Brewing Company Super Pack. Fred Melms is sticking around because he's a funny, smart dude. And uh, Pat Kreitlow, who is the real pro in this situation, is not here. So we're just kind of like doing crazy stuff tonight. Um, so we're going to end the show uh, taking it up a notch because we've, yeah, in Wisconsin, I grew up in Wisconsin. Sarah moved to Wisconsin. Fred grew up in Wisconsin, grew up in Wausau. I grew up in Stevens Point. And I moved back to this state after having been in Chicago, New York, and California, because I somehow can't stay away. I love Wisconsin and it really does kill me. And, you know, at the, at the, at, at, when it comes down to brass tacks, it kills me that this state is so politically divided. It kills me that there's a guy that uh, would drink beer with me and listen to a good bluegrass band up in Northern Wisconsin that, you know, is, is going to, tell me, you know, give me the finger on Facebook because of my stance on COVID. And, uh, and it shouldn't be this way. And I can't wait to the till we get to a place where where Wisconsin where Wisconsin doesn't have to be so political and we're, and we're all the Midwestern nice that we kind of were born and raised to be. So I wanted to end this podcast uh, asking, you know, mentioning asking Sarah as a transplant and then asking Fred, who grew up here, what what do you love about Wisconsin, uh, uh, having moved here from LA, Sarah, G give me your, give me your thoughts. Well, um, so much, but just one example, the football. So go figure I leave LA and they get a football team and they legalize marijuana. That's another discussion for another day. Um, but you know, we're Vikings fans in my house with a few exceptions, but we can still appreciate a really good Packers game. So, you know, Packers game this week was phenomenal and, you know, non calls with, uh, you know, the helmet to helmet hit, which was awful watching, um, them come back the way they did. It was just so fun. And it was just a nice opportunity to take a break from the politics, get excited about greatness of, team sports so I you know I love the camaraderie I love the team spirit I was a cheerleader in high school so it fits it's crazy how we punch above our weight class uh, as a state in in all sports uh, I agree with you wholeheartedly there I living in New York and California I definitely didn't focus on sports as much but you can't avoid it in Wisconsin and it's really something that you can we can kind of wrap our arms around each other and and, and be proud about Fred what do you got uh well she took sports but no it's a great school it's a great state for sports obviously Packers football is great I think Badger football is even better um, all Badger sports are pretty amazing, but I think just the, the access to the outdoors in Wisconsin is pretty much, I mean, you know, basically unparalleled except for a few instances. I mean, you go anywhere, you're 50, 60 miles from, you know, public beach. You can go, you know, public hunting land is everywhere. Public fishing is available. The outdoors is just, uh, the access to the outdoors, I think is just generally unparalleled and everyone and not everyone, but a large majority of the state uses it. So something sort of everyone can, everyone can agree upon is that, you know, so that's something I guess that still should and could bring us together. But I think generally as political and angry as everyone's gotten, I, I, I still have to believe the vast majority of people are, are sane and reasonable. I think we just unfortunately get to 
here we're hearing from the loud ones right now and they've figured out how to take over yeah and uh that's that's the issue so i think the people are still great i think for them generally minus you know maybe 10 percent of them but I, I don't know. There's some great. Obviously, Wisconsin still great. This is a great state for uh, for a number of reasons. Yeah, I mean, so you know, I ran a brew pub in the middle of the reddest part of Wisconsin, and there wasn't antagonism. I mean, basically, a lot of people got together after work and drank beer, and I drank beer with them, <laughs> and we didn't talk about politics. I think there's this vast, silent majority of people who just don't want to dip their toe into things. I mean, one thing about the Midwest is we'd like to avoid conflict. I like to avoid, I was raised to avoid conflict as a Midwestern Wisconsin boy. And so people don't want to engage with each other. But when that happens, this huge silent majority, uh, their voices aren't heard because the people that know how to game the system and manipulate that silent majority uh, because people might not vote are the ones that are actually uh, having all the power. So uh, my, uh, my, my love of Wisconsin and Northwoods, I'll just end uh, with this, is I take the boat out every September on the Minocqua chain of lakes, and there's nobody there uh, because all the tourists have gone home and the lakes are just crystal clear. Uh, there is not a better place to watch the uh, the colors change, the leaves change, than on the Manaqua chain of lakes. Uh, when you're when you just you just hear the birds chirping and and it's just gorgeous. And I do it every year. And and I'm not gonna leave. People think, why the heck would you go back to Manaqua? They all hate you there. <laughs> it's there's a there's an element of truth to that, but. Uh, I'm not going to let them beat me because I love the place. It's magical. It's beautiful. I'm going to go, I'm, you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to keep on going and we're going to make things better. It might take a little bit of time. Uh, it might ruffle some feathers, but, uh, I'm not giving up on the Northwoods and I hope, uh, hope everybody on the call and I hope everybody listening doesn't give up on us either. We're going to be a kinder, gentler Northern Wisconsin. And with that, I'd like to say, Goodbye to everyone. Uh, please, uh, if you care about kids, uh, say a little prayer for this lawsuit. Fred's going to need it. We don't know if it's going to go well or not, but we're going to try our darndest to, uh, to, uh, be, to make Wisconsin a, a safer place for kids in school. So thanks, everybody, for joining us. And we will, uh, thanks, Fred. Thanks, Sarah. And, uh, and we'll see you again next week. Take care, everybody.